Um, oh, there's a fan on, and we just realized. And we're shutting it off. Oh, look at that. That's okay. okay. Um, so, yeah. I'm going to go get more wine before we start, just, just so I'm like. Oh, my God. Just bring in the box of wine. Bring in the box. Good plan. Fuck it, we'll do it live. <laughs> do it live! Fuck it! We'll do it live! Come here. Being Bill O'Reilly. Do you have something to say? Say hi to everybody. Say hi. Being shy? Kitty. There we go. Does it upset me out? I'll put you down now. Bye, Kitty. Oh, God, you look angry. Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch? Bad bitch? Bad bitch? I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if it's naughty to rule your lips, take your shoulders, take your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be bad. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Okay, Hannah. <laughs> Deanna, Hannah. would you like to start this podcast? Sure. Um, good morning, everybody. Or good afternoon morning. or evening. I don't presume to know when you listen. Whatever well, time you choose to partake. Don't yell. <gasps> I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Welcome to another weekly installment of Good Witches, Bad Bitches with your hosts, Hannah and Deanna. I don't know how much longer. <laughs> <laughs> break first the NPR voices um yeah welcome to this week's episode we're gonna talk we're gonna talk about I sound drunk I haven't had anything to drink what is wrong with me I'm just gonna warn everybody right now I'm tired and therefore a little delirious and I am also drinking a glass of wine so I might get a little weird it's possible you're always a little weird shush your fucking mouth I'm sorry, that was intense. That was extreme. I take it back. Agro Slytherin behavior over there. Mouth. It is our 27th episode. Yeah. And hopefully, if you don't know what you're signing up for, then you are enjoying yourself. <laughs> <laughs> this is Fingers good witches, bad, bad bitches. I almost said good witches, bad witches. Uh huh. I mean, it works too. We've only been doing this for six months now. We've been doing this six months. months. I can't even believe that. We missed our six month anniversary, which was last week. Uh huh. We're doing it now, I guess. Sure. We can Uh celebrate our anniversary whenever we want. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Every week we talk to you about a person who, generally a lady, who we want to tell you about because we think they were cool or they were weird, but. Their life was noteworthy and worth talking about, or is worth talking about, if they're still alive. Yeah. So, here we are. Here we are. We're doing it. Yeah. Episode 27. Ugh. Hannah. That was a great intro. Thank you. Thank you. I think we're starting to get it down, finally. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <coughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Keep telling ourselves that, yeah, and yeah. maybe one day it'll be true. Sure. Sure. <sighs> Before we jump into the person I'm going to tell you about this week, yes, I, I wanted to, so I've known about this for a little while, but it felt particularly pertinent for the person I'm doing today. Cool. 
And it's this it's this hashtag Uh-oh. on Twitter that it trended last year, but um, you know BuzzFeed and NPR did some articles on it, and so I went and I looked it up and found it again, and it's called um, the hashtag is thanks for typing. Have you uh, seen this? No. No. Okay. Um, it, what's interesting is is. Women have been talking about this issue for a long time, but of course, the minute a white dude brings it up, it's like, oh my God, that's a thing? Who knew? <laughs> but this guy, Bruce Holsinger, and some of his colleagues, they were talking about how how often the wives of male academics were acknowledged in, in papers and, and books and sure. really seemed to... Um, be responsible for a lot more of the work on those books than, you know, might be And they were given credit for? Yeah. And, um, and so he started, he started researching and then he started the hashtag, thanks for typing, and included some acknowledgements. Oh yeah, because they generally would type it up. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So he included some acknowledgements for um, various books that you, that we may or may not know or, or t- term papers. And I just want to read some of them because it's so interesting (laughs) how we I don't know how people just justify this shit and still justify this shit um this one is from 1958 um H.J. Patton I don't know who that is but they say I have to thank my wife for typing the whole of this difficult manuscript in spite of the heavy burden laid on housewives housewives by a housewives housewives. I always do that um housewives by a six years war which I don't know what that refers to and it's oppressive aftermath. So that was one. One is, um, I'm most grateful to the many colleagues who have helped me in the preparation of this book, and in particular to Dr. Howard Davies for his most valuable and helpful advice, to Ms. Brenda Sorrell for drawing the diagrams, to Ms. Pamela Lee, and to my wife for typing, retyping, and typing yet again the manuscript. What's funny is very rarely are the wives named. It's always name, my name, wife. name, and then my wife. Huh. So that was that was a couple. Um, this one is, last but not least, I gratefully acknowledge my debt to my wife for typing the whole of this work at least twice, patiently deciphering my afterthoughts and insertions, and sternly correcting stylistic lapses. Why were they not typing their own shit? Because men couldn't type. I guess for women a long were trained time. to do so. Yeah. Because it was they were considered a feminine be, skill. Yes, yeah, stenographers and secretaries and stuff. Um, finally, to my dear wife, who cheerfully typed a quarter cheerfully. of a million words or more. Jesus. And put up with the dislocation caused by an undertaking of this scale. My loving thanks. Um, my loving thanks and eternal gratitude. Uh-huh. This one is insane. Um, The two volumes with some new appendices amount now to just over 1,000 pages, and uh, they contain so much material and so many suggestions and arguments that I am surprised that I was ever able to write them all down. But the fact is that I wrote the book 22 times, always trying to clarify and to simplify it, and my wife typed and retyped the whole manuscript Five times on a decrepit old typewriter. God bless her. <laughs> he says, it then took two years and three months before it was published. No, I cannot recommend my method. <laughs> this one's awful. Oh boy. Um, uh, uh, one other person deserves the rest of my gratitude and so much more besides. With two aching fingers. 
which I don't know what that's about, my wife typed out the whole manuscript. In addition, she has done all those little chores that are unavoidable in writing a book, but which do add up to something so frightening uh, that they must have been responsible for many a prospective literary genius turning to less exacting forms of creativity. May the good Lord repay her, for I cannot. Why? <laughs> I don't know. Um... There was one in here that I wanted to read. Where is it? Uh, da, 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 da. I cannot repay her. I mean, maybe that's like more of a sentiment than like a, I'm not going to do it just because it's more just like for all the things she's done, there's no way I can repay yeah, her. Yeah, hopefully God will do it. Um, my wife transcribed the first draft of the manuscript, working from the black letter type, 16th century spelling, and wondrous punctuation of the original publications. She has also carried the burden of checking the several drafts through which a large part of this volume has passed. God. Um, let's see. My wife typed the entire manuscript and the subsequent two or three revisions of most of it. She also did much of the proofreading. This person typed and retyped the manuscript 15 times. Blech. I mean, okay. So you know I don't this see reminds the one that I wanted to tell you, but it's fine. You get the gist. Have you seen uh, Professor Marsden and the Wonder Woman? I haven't, and I really want to. It's really good, um, but it's basically like Rebecca Hall's character... Uh, his his wife. I don't remember any of the characters' names. I just remember Professor Marsden because it's literally in the title. Um, but she was like just as educated as him, if not more so, and was also a professor, but like never got the recognition that he did just because she was a woman. Of course. And, but the movie is really good because it was talking about their work in creating uh, a lie detector machine. Like a polygraph. Fascinating. Because they were talking about the psychology of lying and and then how that like led into polyamory and BDSM and gender role, like sexual reversal and stuff. It's but it's really cool. And uh, they definitely didn't like hold back from what I presume was probably closer to the truth of the story mm. rather than just like, oh, making it cutesy. Yeah, well, because the the thing was that a lot of people tried to to retroactively paint their relationship because they so they had a grad student of his that he became infatuated with and fell in love with, but she was in love with the wife. <laughs> but they tried to and so ultimately they ended up being in a polyamorous like throuple situation yeah. and they had children together. Damn. And raised them all or whatever. And um but people tried to paint it as he was just a bigamist with 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 two wives instead, right. and they kind of tried to erase the fact that the two women were also in a relationship. Yeah, but the movie does not shy from that, which I, I that's think that's really is cool. fascinating. I'm I'm so interested in in the like representations of polyamory in media, and I would love to see more of it, just because I think like that's a healthy lifestyle choice, and we kind for of for some people for some people, and we do tend to portray it as like inevitably doomed. You know what I mean? And I think for some people it is. Yeah, but not for all people. No. Um, anyway, that sounds awesome. And it's also, like we were talking about in one of our previous episodes, the movie Colette. Yeah. That's coming out. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's the same. I learned ghostwriting. Yeah, she was a ghostwriter. Her this is something I didn't know until I looked up all of the things for typing stuff, but her husband used to lock her in a room until she had produced the amount of prose that he wanted. I think that they alluded to that in the trailer for the movie. Probably. But yeah, that's, that's a big part of the story. Which is like horrifyingly abusive. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently Einstein's wife, his first wife, may have been responsible for a lot of the science that he was given credit for. Um, that we And we just have no, we just don't know. We have no way of knowing. The only way we know is through letters that they wrote to each other. And you know what that speaks to, to me, is that, is, like, teamwork. And, you know, two minds and that's are okay. better at finding a problem. Yeah. Like, I mean, in some cases, of course, it, I think, you know, the woman was given, probably did a lot of the heavy lifting. And in some cases, maybe she just inspired or served as a catalyst or whatever. But the point is, they were yeah. never given credit in their time. And it's not fucking fair. Yeah. Agreed. But that's, yeah. I mean, it's insane that... It, we're even now, because I know that, like, even my grandma, I think she went to, um, like, secretary classes and stuff. Yeah, that's, that was uh, a woman's... I mean, certainly women can type faster than men if they had been to school, mm-hmm. and men had not, because yeah. that was seen as a feminine pursuit for some fucking reason. Yeah, I don't know how... I, I, I don't know. I won't dive into the ranty portion of that, but I thought it was very interesting... So, I want to tell you about an astronomer named Wilhelmina Fleming. Cool! And she was prominent in the um, late 1800s. Um, but she, what I, the reason I picked her versus other astronomers of the same time is she inspired a lot of those astronomers, those women astronomers. Ooh. So I thought she'd be cool. And um, I took, <laughs> okay, most of what I'm going to read to you is an extract from a... An excerpt? Yep. <laughs> it's like an extract. Well, this says... This says extract this of says vanilla. This is an extract, and so I just read it off the page. An excerpt, fine, whatever you know, say. Maybe extract is right. I don't know. Well, what this the is, fuck do I know? It's British, oh. so that's probably why they said extract. Anyway. Um, Flavor. It's from a STEM anthology... Oh, women in STEM anthology, and the book is A Passion for Science, Tales of Discovery and Invention, and the writer of this particular excerpt is Sue Nelson. Extract. Extract. Um, And I took, this is basically hers, and I, the reason I picked it instead of just like cobbling together a lot of the research I did is because hers was the most... Hers was the most fleshed out anyway. So it was like, I may as well just use that and not, like, steal her work and then put it in other stuff. Like, paraphrase her work. And then, yeah, and then put it in other stuff. Yeah. So, um, I don't know what that laugh was. So, in 1879, Wilhelmina Patton Stevens Fleming found herself pregnant, of course, because that's how it happens. One day you You find yourself yourself pregnant. pregnant. How'd this happen? Where'd this Billy come from? My Um, period is gone. (laughs) Uh, she was pregnant unexpectedly alone and far from home. The year before, together with her husband James, she had emigrated from Scotland to the United States. Mm. Um, she was abandoned by James in Boston at the age of 23, just two years after marriage. Uh, just after two years of marriage. 
Wow, sounds like a real stand-up guy. But, um, it may have been a little bit her. We don't know. Nobody knows. Okay. Um, so she faced the prospect of being a single parent in a strange country with no money and nowhere to live. So she has a great Scottish accent? Probably. Um... It was both an exciting and dangerous time to be in America. Only a few years earlier, the Sioux Nation had defeated Lieutenant Colonel Custer at the Battle of Little Bighorn. In Deadwood, a traveling buffalo hunter had shot Wild Bill Hickok in the head while playing poker. The Brooklyn Bridge and the Washington Monument were merely works in progress, and it would be another 18 years before Boston had its own subway. I just liked that little snippet. Wait. Boston had a subway that early. I mean, I get, never mind. This is the time period for that. <laughs> I'm setting the stage, man. I cut a lot of Wait, the where stage did she, setting. She's in Boston? Yeah. Okay. E you just said the Brooklyn yeah. Bridge, so I was like, is she in New York? And then I realized you had already said she's in Boston. No. She's a Scot in Boston in a place where lots of Irish people are. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. Um, within 30 years of what can only be described as an inauspicious start, Fleming had cataloged over 10,000 stars, had discovered 310 variable stars, 10 nova, novae, sure. N-O-V-A-E, uh, mama, tell us, tell us how you pronounce that, um, novae, 52 nebulae, and the <laughs> hot, dense stars known as white dwarfs. I'm a hot, dense starkin. <laughs> So You're an idiot, Ken. <laughs> oh my god. I'm not gonna move past this. No. Long after her death, when the Hubble Space Telescope unveiled the stunningly beautiful Horsehead Nebula in unprecedented, unprecedented detail, history had already noted that it was Wilhelmina Fleming who had first identified the nebula's first uh, the nebula's unusual shape. Ooh. I'm going to put my paper in a different spot. How did spot. she, just with a, tele, like a regular telescope? Well, it goes into, this is the other reason I picked this article, is because it goes into a lot more detail about how she found it and why, like what she was looking at. Because a lot of the other ones were just like, she discovered this thing, but you, you don't know how. And it's really interesting. Um, but I'll get there. So in 1879, Fleming applied for a job as a maid and a housekeeper at the Harvard College Observatory. Nice. As a former school teacher from Dundee, this must have been a difficult adjustment, despite the fact that Fleming was one of nine children and had been teaching since the age of 14, while what? still a pupil, to contribute to the family income. What? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, whether what a crazy time. It's kind of interesting, though, because clearly she she was the type of person who had a lot of independent ambition for study. Yes. Like, she really enjoyed figuring out how to do shit. Yeah. And so it makes sense to me in that way. I mean, if you can make money and there's no child labor laws. Yeah. So, and you know stuff. And you know stuff. And you can, like and you if you don't. you can be a tutor at age 14. Yeah. And if like, you don't know stuff, you she clearly had a way of figuring it out. Um, so uh, the director of the observatory, Edward Pickering, was a professor of astronomy. Pickering. I just got, Pickering. I just got deja vu. I know. Weird. My fair lady flashbacks? Maybe. Yeah. Um, uh, so Edward Pickering was a... <laughs> God damn it. I'm, I'm going to do this the whole time. He was a professor of astronomy who employed low-paid low computers, which is what they called, like, analysts at the time. Oh, yeah. Um, like, actually... Uh, yeah. A person, a, person. a person who computes. Yes. <laughs> um, primarily men at the time Duh. who examined photographic plates. 
These plates, each about the size of an old 78 RPM record sleeve, contained images of stars taken from telescopes in Harvard uh, and the Southern Hemisphere. They appeared as hundreds of fine gray or black spots on transparent glass. On the spectral oh. plates, where starlight had first been split by a prism, the images resemble smudged pencil marks. Isn't that cool? It sounds like art. I know. It just sounds really fucking neat. I mean, often science and art do go hand in hand. Yeah, I and I can see exactly why she was fascinated by this stuff, because I would have, I am. I am fascinated by this stuff, and I have no science background at all. The computers examined the captured starlight with magnifying glasses to catalog the star's brightness, as well as calculating or, you know, computing their positions. In the case of spectral plates, information such as chemical composition, color, and temperature of the stars could be gleaned from each millimeter-long spectrographic barcode of information. Whoa. I don't even... No. Whoa. I know. So Pickering apparently declared uh, the work so easy that even his, quote, scotch maid could do it. Nice. Uh-huh. Women were paid less than men at the time. I love how they say at the time as if that's not still true. 78 cents on the dollar. I mean, Jesus Christ. If you're white. If, yeah, and unless if you're not. Um, so there was admittedly a financial gain in employing women over men. Gross. Uh-huh. And he did end up hiring her on as a computer. I mean, that's cool, but the reason sucks. The reason sucks. It sucks. Fleming was soon put in charge of hiring, uh, hiring the other computers. And as Fleming, <gasps> as Fleming tasked her, why does that say that? As Pickering tasked her with recruiting more women, um, Pickering's... Oh, I don't like this. Pickering's harem took shape. Ew, in, Sue. In other articles I read, it was Pickering's women, which is not better. No. But the his, point, his employees? His Can employees. you just say his employees, his harem, just because it's a bunch of women? Yeah, the point Sue. being that he was the only person who was employing women to do any of this shit. I bet, I bet there was a lot of shit where it was just like... You know, his col- his male colleagues would be like, oh, oh, oh that oh, must yeah. be nice, surrounded by a bunch of beautiful women. Like, do you get your share of dickin'? I don't know. I'm sure. Bullshit, I- like, lewd comments. Yeah, Be I'm like, oh, sure. we, s- we know why you do this. I know. This article, I mean, bless it for its information, but it does sort of... Sue. Um, not really, like, take seriously the realities of why... Sue. Wilhelmina <laughs> Fleming was hired. Um... So the the harem ugh, contained women like Fleming with no formal astronomical training who were um, not expected to think, but never, nevertheless applied intelligence and insight to their work. Because, of course, you can't just decide something doesn't take thought and therefore you're not going to pay women to do it. Well, if you would if you would get a man to do it, you would pay him more, even though, according to you, it doesn't take thought. That so, logic, does, it's just circular. It's really bad. All right. Um, computing, so he has a harem. Yeah. He has a harem. Computing was repetitive, painstaking, and paid little, obviously. Even the factory girls at the nearby Lowell Mill were paid more. Lowell. 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 But it offered mental stimulation to those who applied and used their own minds. Oh, it applied. It didn't take thought, but it applied mental stimulation. Okay. Yeah. If you decided to use your brain, then great, is basically what that sentence is. Sweet. 
Women also began arriving at the Harvard Observatory from fledgling women's colleges. These women were more educated and keen to observe, classify, and research the heavens, searching for patterns within the data. Um, a million or so of these glass plates are still stored at Harvard, which is really cool. interesting. Um, one of them was taken by Pickering and is numbered B2312. It was on this that two years after it was taken, Fleming discovered the Horsehead Nebula. She described it as a semicircular indentation, five minutes in diameter, 30 minutes south of Zeta, or Orionis. Fleming rewarded Pickering's faith in her intelligence and ability. That's such a weird sentence. Fleming rewarded Pickering with, like, Fleming rewarded Pickering's faith in her intelligence and ability. Like, he was so smart to bring her on because he could just tell she was smart. Maybe he could tell she was smart. I don't know. But, yeah, that's a weird way of putting it. It sounds like he hired her on to make a point to the dudes that he was employing and was shocked to find out that she could actually do shit. That's what it seems like to me. I don't fucking know. Anyway. So, um, she established the first photographic standards of magnitude, which is now an important tool for astronomers, that were then used to measure the brightness of variable stars whose light fluctuated. She also developed a new Pickering-Fleming system to classify stars by their spectra alphabetically, A, B, C, and so on, according to the strength. She came up with it, and it's the Pickering-Fleming system. Well, this is why why I was reading the acknowledgments. Uh-huh. to you earlier because uh-huh. it's like you know he's like yeah but I hired her so right. really it's I did it I made her type the book and I made her do the research for the book but it was my idea initially so I it get was the my credit. idea to hire her so therefore uh, credit's mine yeah she wouldn't have even been able to write it if I didn't hire her which yeah dude good point but still yep it, that doesn't mean you deserve, whatever I know it's so fucked it's not your system if she came up with it <laughs> it's no it's our system okay Okay, sure. Sure Okay, guy. Whatever you need. Within a decade, she had studied and classified over 10,000 stars. That's so many. It's so many. um, Most of them are visible to the naked eye um, for the Draper Catalog of Stellar Spectra, 1890. Although Pickering did not name Fleming as co-author, he (laughs) did credit her work in the book. (laughs) Ah... What am I, what's my face look like right now? It looks unhappy. <laughs> Unimpressed. That guy's unhappy too. Mm-hmm. Um, the astronomical community also recognized her for her contribution. Great. But whatever. At first, Fleming was also uncredited for the Horsehead Nebula. Even though she... Okay. Mm-hmm. As a result of the Star Index Catalog's compiler only naming Pickering. But this was amended by the second version years later. Thank God. Yeah, at least somebody amended it. Um, Pickering also encouraged the women computers to attend conferences and present papers, allowing them to flourish professionally. Well, that's good. Mm-hmm. 
In fact, Pickering's forward thinking with regard to his women computers must have been in, uh, been anathema to his contemporaries. Much later in 1901, sure. the director of the Yale Observatory, William Elkin, said, I am thoroughly in favor of employing women as measures and computers. Not only are women available at smaller salaries than are men, but for routine work, they have important advantages. Men are more likely to grow impatient after the novelty of the work has worn off and would be harder to retain for that reason. Oh, so women follow through more? So women's brains don't require stimulation the way men do, is what he's saying. Okay. So they would stay on longer, and you could pay them less, because they don't need to be stimulated by their work. In 1898, Fleming became the first woman curator of the observatory's astronomical photographs. Okay. Some of the pages from her journal written in 1900 reveal the range of her work. She said, Before lunch, I found time to examine a few southern spectrum plates and marked a fourth type star and a gaseous nebula, both probably known. Later in the afternoon, I noted a few more interesting objects, among these two fourth type stars, one gaseous nebula, and several bright line stars. Yes, yes. Gracias. Some of these may be new. So that was like what she did all day, every day. She found time. She found time before Oh, I lunch. found it. Some time <laughs> on the floor. I'm going to oh, use no. this shit. I'm going to use this. I'm going to go categorize some stars. Oh. Um, there is a lot more to learn about Fleming. She returned to Scotland to give birth to her son, but came back to continue working at the observatory, leaving her son with her mother and grandmother. She named her son Edwards Charles Pickering Fleming, which could be seen as a simple act of gratitude or possibly reflects that her relationship with the director was more than employer-employee. There has also been speculation that maybe this was the reason her marriage broke up. Wait. Was she pregnant when she started working with him? It's kind of seeming like that, yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. All right. All right. Bye, no comment. By 1907, uh, Fleming had been appointed an honorary fellow in astronomy at um, f another female astronomer's Anna Jump Cannon's alma mater. Anna Jump Cannon. Great name. That's a n fucking name. Hello, I'm Anna Jump Cannon. I'm Anna Jump Cannon. Um, it just kind of rolls off the tongue. It, at first, when I was reading it in this article, I was like, what the fuck is a jump cannon? And then I realized... That's her name. That's a name. Um, <laughs> and she was the first American woman to be elected an honorary member of London's Royal Astronomical Society. Who was? Uh, Fleming. So I guess she became an American citizen? Even though she's Scottish? Oh, yeah, I guess so. I didn't even notice that that said American. But yeah, she must have. Yeah. Maybe it was easier back then. I'm, I'm sure it was. <laughs> if they didn't even need background checks to get into the U.S. government. Until, until uh, the, the 50s. 50s. Yeah. Um, like, you're here. You're an American now. <laughs> well done. Well done. <laughs> do you want to be an American? I do. It's done. Welcome. Congrats. Well, maybe not welcome, but <laughs> yeah, maybe not quite. They'll that. let you do it, but they won't be ha they won't be nice about it. Yeah, they won't there's be. There's still there's always anti-immigrant sentiment in a country of immigrants. <laughs> da, 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 da. Woo! So Kay. she was inducted into this society, <laughs> London's Royal Astronomical Society. 
1910, Fleming published her discovery of stars that have almost exhausted their nuclear fuel. Um, these small stars have expelled their outer layers, creating a planetary nebula and leaving an extremely dense hot core. They were called white dwarfs because the first few that they discovered were white. So she discovered them. Great. She discovered white dwarfs? Yep. She published her discovery in 1910. Shit. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, she... Da, 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 oh, she died in Boston of pneumonia, age 54. Like Descartes. Like Descartes. <laughs> Poor Descartes. Confused old man. She died of pneumonia. There's a cute little paragraph. Her life had been a tremendous and unique journey. Fleming left Dundee as a young woman and school teacher, survived a broken marriage, and at a time when a woman's place was in the home, departed the world thousands of miles away as an astronomer at Harvard Observatory. Well, I feel like had she had her marriage been healthier, she probably wouldn't have been inspired to leave the home as to go like to go work. Yeah, because that wasn't really expected of women at the time. Yeah, well, they probably needed money in the new new world. Um, it was in the new world. It was a transformation from a housekeeper and maid to being the discoverer of white dwarfs, and apparently the recipient of the Astronomical Society of Mexico's Guadalupe Almendado Medal for her discovery of new stars. Whoa! Well, I'm just gonna leave it there from Sue's article, but I did want to read this little tidbit from Wikipedia. Bring it on, bitch. Um, the Harvard Women Computers, <sighs> shut your mouth, were famous during their lifetimes. That was really delayed, I would just like to say. <laughs> I was quiet for a solid 10 <laughs> seconds before you said that. Sometimes I just need a little extra time to process. Yeah, especially when you've had wine. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the Harvard Women Computers. Oh, yeah. So the Harvard Women Computers were famous during their lifetimes but largely forgotten in the following century. In about 2015, Lindsay Smith Zroll, what a name, Z-R-U-L-L. Zroll. Zroll, curator of Harvard's plate stacks collection, while trying to catalog, digitize, and attribute the astronomical plates. What? Attribute? Yeah. You said attribute, that's the noun. Attribute is the verb. God, I always do that. I get so, like, involved in reading, I don't even notice I'm pronouncing things wrong. I'm an asshole. (laughs) Attribute Um, the plates. They attribute the plates. Um, For the digital access to a sky century at Harvard. That's an an organization, dash, they call it. Digital access to a sky century at Harvard. Like dash, like dashel? D-A-S-C-H. Um, she found 118 total boxes, each containing 20 to 30 notebooks from women computers and early Harvard astronomers. Realizing that the 2,500 plus volumes were outside the scope of her work, but wanting to see the material preserved and made accessible, Lindsay reached out to librarians at the Harvard Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. Um, as of August 2017, about 200 of the volumes have been transcribed. Two of the women's computer notebooks were listed via the Smithsonian Digital Volunteers website. Um, Let's see, the head librarian said that the objective is to enable full text search of the research. If you search for Wilhelmina... Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, if you search for Wilhelmina Fleming, you're not going to just find a mention of her in a publication where she wasn't the author of her work. You're going to find her work. Um, In July... Yeah, in July 2017... 
the Harvard Smithsonian Center unveiled the display showcasing Fleming's work, including the logbook containing the Horsehead Nebula discovery. Um, and yeah, so on and so forth. I just, I liked that. And also, this one last thing, equal pay between the sexes was just an was another area of concern for Fleming, with the starting wage for female computers at Harvard just 25 cents an hour, considerably less than a man's wage at the time. Whoa. After challenging Pickering on the issue, Fleming wrote, I am immediately told that I receive an excellent salary as women's salaries stand. Does he ever think that I have a home to keep and a family to take care of as well as the men? And this is considered an enlightened age. Uh, yeah. So is ours. Uh, so is ours. <laughs> I know. I wanted to include that because I was like, mm, see, that's a bigger issue than Sue Nelson made it seem like in her, in her extract. <laughs> My extract by um, Sue Nelson. But that's Wilhelmina Fleming. Sweet. Fucking Harvard astronomer, first woman to first woman to. She's a Harvard astronomer before uh, Harvard allowed shit. female students. It would seem, right? Oh, I don't know the answer to that question, actually. But yeah, uh, but maybe. Look at the Horsehead Nebula; it's so pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's gorgeous. When did Harvard admit women? Nineteen seventy-seven. Holy fuck! What? Harvard didn't admit women until 1977? Yes, because it was... They, so, okay. Their female equivalent was Radcliffe. Just like oh, how Barnard... you have a school, women. Go to Radcliffe. Go to that one over yeah, there. Just like how Barnard is Columbia's female college, <sighs> and it still exists to this day. Wow. Yeah. Harvard's undergraduate population remained predominantly male, with about four men attending Harvard College for every woman studying at Radcliffe. Following the merger of Harvard and Radcliffe admissions in 1977, the proportion of female undergraduates steadily increased. Wow. Let's see. When did each of the Ivy League colleges start admitting women? Let's say. It's bogus to say women were happy at Radcliffe and never dreamed of Harvard. Only Radcliffe was on offer. Columbia didn't manage to admit women until 1983. <gasps> Whoa! The Ivy segregated women until 1977, blah, blah, blah. Brown and Columbia were also shameful. Women were turned down and shunted off to separate campuses. When you were looking for work, guess which degrees opened doors? Guess where the research dollars went? The prestigious awards, the fellowships. Wow. By the way. Wow. 1970. 1977 uh, and 1983 for Columbia. That's, that's shameful. That's, that's within the lifetime of millennials. Not mine, but close to it. That is just fucking shameful. That's awful. So it's, it's yeah. the whole like notion of separate but equal. They had a women's college that was the quote unquote equivalent. Women, but, you should be fine with going to that college. But that made a good point. Like, guess where all the research dollars went? Guess which degree opened doors? More doors. Yeah. I'm sure if you had a degree from Radcliffe, you it was like prestigious for a woman. Yeah. But, but if, it, if you if you were up against somebody who had a Harvard degree, who was going to get the job? So fucked. So she was doing a hell of a lot of work at a school that she couldn't even have attended. Yeah. <laughs> and it was only once women were able to fucking attend that they started going back and actually... That's right. 
and looking at, at the work that was done. That's so, oh, God. Mm-hmm. It didn't even occur to me to look for that. That just makes me mad. Yeah. Wow, the shit we learn on this podcast. I know, right? It's really. <laughs> it's partly the selfish reason why I, <sighs> I want to do more of it all the time. I know. I just, like, I. So that I can uh, learn crazy shit that often pisses me off. I know. <laughs> I know, but it's so important. Like, I feel like it's really, I feel so much more educated. <laughs> edumacated? Edu- I feel edumacated. I'm pretty proud of myself and my edumacation. You know what that is? That is making assumptions about Southern people. <gasps> I started that, but. You did! <laughs> my mom. Bitch. My mom gets offended when people, like, go to a Southern accent to make a point about stupid people. Fair. Even though my mom doesn't really have much of a southern accent, unless she's very mad or drunk. Texas? Yeah. Oh, see? My mom's family's from Arkansas. Yeah. My grandpa from Brooklyn has a stronger Texan accent than I do. <laughs> because he's been there since the 50s, and that's just what he's taking Oh, on. well, then that, that makes sense. That makes sense. <sighs> anyway, that was awesome. Thank you. Thank you for telling me about her. Also, the name Wilhelmina is so cool to me. Wilhelmina. Wilhelmina Fleming. I just like it. Nice. She did good work. She sure did. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Wilhelmina. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Okay, let me tell you about some um, things that happened today. What's today, Hannah? Today is August 29th. That makes sense. I'm going to cheat a little bit because some cool things happened for women on a couple other days um, surrounding August 29th. And since this is a you're breaking the rules podcast about ladies, I'm sorry. (laughs) But I'm going to do it anyway. Cool. Okay. I'm into it. August 26th, 1920. This felt important to include because the 19th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution is ratified, granting women the right to vote. Exactly. That's a beautiful thing. I know. I can't believe there is a movement now, among women too, to repeal the 19th Amendment. I don't want to know about that. Because I didn't know about that. Sure you did. No. It's about, it's because women on the whole, not white women, but women on the whole are anti-Trump. I wonder why. So conservative women and really backwards conservative men, and women are backwards too, are like, we should just repeal the 19th Amendment because women clearly don't know what's good for them. Which is such insanity. It makes me upset that... uh We're still having this fucking conversation. Fuck you. Thank you. I agree. August 28th. That's my mom's birthday. Happy birthday, mom. 1963. More than 250,000 people gather for a march on Washington, D.C. and listen to Martin Luther King's famous, Martin Luther King Jr., sorry, Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous I Have a Dream speech. Mm -hmm. That felt important to include. Even though it's a day earlier than today. A day. 29th. Yep. 28th. Um, 1929, August 29th, aviator Anne Morrow Lindbergh makes her first solo flight. Good job. Mm-hmm. Well done, Anne. Yeah. Uh, oh, 1949, 
Uh-oh. Soviet Union tests their first atomic bomb. Ugh, gross. It was a near copy of the United States Fat Man bomb with a yield of 21 kilotons, making the Soviet Union's the world's making the Soviet Union the world's second nuclear power. The world was not fully informed about it until September 23rd, nearly one month later. Great. Mm-hmm. And I, that timing is... It probably has something to do with Elizabeth Bentley and the information she was feeding uh-huh. to the Soviets. Yep. Look at me, hearkening back two episodes ago. Damn straight. That's why I included it. Cheers. Oh, cheers. <laughs> Coming full circle. Well done. Mm. Mm. <sighs> okay. Um, 19, oh, 1965, the USA Gemini 5 returns to Earth, bringing the two American astronauts, Charles Conrad and Gordon Cooper, back to Earth, having spent, um, after having spent over a week orbiting the Earth three days more than any previous missions to space. Whoa. I thought that was cool, because I just did an astronomer, so... La di da. Um, 1966. <laughs> yeah. The Beatles play their final tour date. That early? Really? Candlestick Park in San Francisco. Wow. No. I don't know. That's just what came up. Weren't they doing stuff in the 70s, too? I don't know. Maybe they didn't go on tour. Yeah. Maybe not. Huh? This was this was regarded as important, so yeah, I thought I would just put it down. Thanks. Okay. Um, and earlier we had one where it was like the, their first recording. Oh, yeah. And then there was one about when the Abbey Road picture was taken. Clearly the Beatles are just that significant that yes. they pop up on these websites. They are, they are indeed. Um, 2005. Yeah. Hurricane Katrina. Oof. Hits. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's the most destructive hurricane ever to hit the United States at the time, reaching 175 miles per hour. Yep. Um, yeah, bad shit. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. really... So we went to New Orleans a couple of years ago. God, I can't believe it's already been a couple of years. And there's a bar there called Bacchanal. If anyone is in New Orleans or goes to New Orleans, go there because it's fucking awesome. But it's like this house and there's a space in back, an outdoor space, and they have a little stage and they do, they have live music all the time and they have a bar upstairs and they have really good food. Um, But what's really fascinating about it is in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, Bacchanal opened to restaurant owners who had, it was, Bacchanal had not existed before this. It was sort of a community thing that opened in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina and restaurant owners came and did like little pop-up restaurants to make money back for their lost restaurants. And so Bacchanal served as this, as this place where, where people who would own restaurants and lost their livelihoods could That's make food so for people. There was live music. And now it exists still as to this like day. As like a restaurant. As like a, yeah, like a bar, live music, venue, restaurant kind of thing. That's so lovely. It's really cool. And the drinks are so fucking good. And the food is really good. And the music is really good. If you ever go to New Orleans, go to Bacchanal. Okay. And that's a great name. I know. It's so good. But I love that history of it. Um, So, last one. (laughs) 2006. Warren Jeffs is arrested. Do you know who Warren Jeffs is? No. Okay. Warren Jeffs was on the FBI's 10 most wanted list due to his involvement for alleged 
arrangement of extra-legal marriages between his adult male followers and underage girls. Ew! He was the leader of the controversial polygamist sect known as the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so a branch of Mormons. Yep. And he Obviously was, disinherited by the, the mainstream Mormon church. Yep. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because all polygamous sects are. Yeah. He was, this was a big deal because he, he was the one who had women wearing, like, super old-fashioned, like, you know, um, Kimmy Schmidt, what's mm-hmm. the called? Fuck. Kimmy Schmidt? Is that all? Yeah, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. The dress, the way those girls dress, that's based on Warren Jeffs. Oh, polygamist Mormon ranch where they've kept these girls. Yikes. Um, no to all Prisoner, that. basically. I mean, it's a cult. It was a cult and... Clearly. Uh, yeah. It was real awful. And they didn't know where to find him if he was on the FBI's most wanted list? Like, well, what was he, he was in... I think the ranch was in Texas. Yeah. Um, and I think they raided the ranch and they got the girls free, but he escaped. And they oh. found him in Nevada. So it is kind of like Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. Ah! Yeah. Funny. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is, yeah, definitely takes Slightly some inspired by inspiration that. from that. Wow. So, yeah, that's that's some stuff from today. Oh, a couple little things. Um, Ingrid Bergman was born and died today. Oh, she pulled a Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. She pulled a <laughs> Shakespeare. I had to not say anything when you were talking about Shakespeare. Um, and Michael Jackson died today. 2009. He died? Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. I read that wrong. I just... He didn't die today. He was born today. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I looked at it again, and I was like, uh... He did not pull a Shakespeare. No. He died on June 25th. My apologies. He was born today in 1958. <gasps> in Indiana, right? Gary, Indiana. Gary, Indiana. Gary, Indiana. All right. Let's put an end to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's Ben's least favorite thing in the I don't even world. know what that is. Music Man. Oh. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't. That's, there's no point in knowing it because Music Man is not a great musical. There were bells on the hill. Okay, I'm Stop. done. Stop. All right. <laughs> that's that. What are you excited about? So this week and previous weeks... In future weeks, <laughs> I am excited because I am, for the first time in a few years, rereading the Harry Potter series. I was going to say Harry Potter. From start to finish. Yay! I'm doing it with Megan. Oh! We have like a little book club going. Yay! And we just started. We're, we're on Sorcerer's Stone, although I'm reading Philosopher's Stone. Mm. And it's weird to see how slightly different yeah. it is. Just Quidditch like, pitch. Like, certain spellings, of course, but, like, phrases, like, they called it, there was a multi-story car park instead of a parking garage, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and stuff like that. Yeah. But it also spelled story S-T-O-R-E-Y, and I was like, why? Why'd you do that, British people? All right. Extract. Um, It's also still not correct. No. Even then. No. Weird. But... Whatever. Yeah. I mean, obviously it is correct because she has great editors. It's fascinating to me to reread it at this age because I think you take something different from it every time. And yes. I'm I'm thinking about a lot of different things. Like I found this time in the in the beginning 
wondering a lot more about Petunia and Lily's relationship mm. and the nature of it. And mm-hmm. we, t- we, when we had our first discussion, we were just talking about like where it went wrong or has it always been wrong or, uh, you know, mm. and how it's like, it's interesting that Vernon is super anti wizard when he really has no clue because yeah. he's never been in on any of it. She has been privy to a lot of information and seen a lot of things. And it would make sense if, like, because she's clearly jealous of her sister because her sister's the golden child of the family or whatever. So there's built up resentment there. And then the two other wizards she really had the most interaction with, theoretically, are Severus Snape and James Potter. Two very pompous... Mm-hmm. Pure blood wizards, basically. Well, Snape's half blood, obvi. But still, grew yeah. up in wizarding families. Think that wizards are superior, even if James is more like matter of fact rather than like condescending. It's just like, yeah, but we're yeah, well, yeah, yeah I'm a wizard. I'm better. It's fine. I mean, he was a bully in yeah. school, so it would make sense if he came across Lily's sister, who's already resentful of wizards and then you know she's a little bit uppity with him he's gonna be uppity right back at her so no wonder she fucking hated them but vernon doesn't know shit anyway this is the nature of like a lot of i'm just curious about the adults more than i am about the the kids because i feel like i know them but anyway i'm really excited about that and i actually am looking forward to um seeing how i feel like later on and the new things that i discover now that i'm like theoretically a full adult yeah i mean um, ben and i have been doing it really young slowly adult, but, but a full adult yeah well, because ben hadn't read them before right ben's never read them yeah. and so we've been listening to them on audible yeah and kind of just going through them you know when we cook dinner and stuff and or, or we're in the car for a long time and it has been interesting for me as somebody who read them all 50 times as a kid yeah. and he has never read them at all he's just seen the movies but it's, Which means he's missing a lot of information. And yeah, and it's funny to hear him go, oh, so uh, this oh, was not in so the movie. This is how this makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's really fascinating. But of course, it's also made me, like you were saying, really interested in the stories of the adults, too. Mm-hmm. And, and McGonagall has been super fascinating. Oh, man, yeah. To me. I think and it's really, it's 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 a cool like I wondered, space. Did she play Quidditch? Because because of how excited she is when she's like, Harry's great on a broom. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Let's get him. Like, we'll get him a broom. Immediately need to introduce you to the captain. Like, she's clearly super into Quidditch. So I, this is a plug for myself as a literary agent. Anyone listening to this who is a writer, please send me a young McGonagall-esque story because I have been begging for it on Twitter. Um, But I have to show you all of my pins that are like, Young Minerva McGonagall oh, pins God. for my manuscript wish list because that Scottish Queen. Oh, I just feel like that would be so. Which is also appropriate cool. for this episode. Yes, oh, you're so right, Wilhelmina. We love we love those Scots women. We do. Well, I mean, I think theoretically, I'm probably pretty Scottish. Mm-hmm. Uh, my DNA that comes from area of Great Britain, the actual island of Great Britain, I presume with my red hair, some of that has got to be. And we knew we were Scotch-Irish, according to our 
history, but yeah. DNA. Both but anyway, us. I'm super excited to read Harry Potter again and have someone to read it with me. Like, that's yeah. nice to have someone to bounce it off of. Because yep. Megan and I were both feeling the itch, and um, now we are, which means, reminds me, I have to text her, because we usually do it on Sunday nights. Glad wine. I could help. Yep. You're welcome. Thanks. Yeah. That was a lot of explanation. No, I love it. <laughs> I think I think everybody should reread Harry Potter, like, at least once a year, if not more. <laughs> well, it's been a few years for me. Like, I, I'm such a Potterhead, and I realized it's been a long time since I partook in the actual source material. You also just know it really Inside well. Inside out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But you discover new things all the time. Yeah, you get new perspectives. Yeah. The older you get. <laughs> yeah. And you're old now, so. Almost 30. Yeah. I'm so sorry for that. <laughs> I need to. I need to. I'm silly, Ken. I need to. <laughs> All right. We end got, this episode. We got to end this. this Thank is you so weird. much for listening. We really appreciate all the support that we've been getting recently. Yeah. And um, Very much it's really so. exciting to see this grow and continue to grow. And um, see you guys. Rate, review, subscribe, all that, you know, boilerplate yeah. nonsense. But Tell your friends. But we do like interacting on social media. Um, yeah. All, we're at pretty much every social media format under GWBB podcast, GWBBpodcast.com. Yep. Email us. Podcast at Gmail. Yeah. We love talking to... It's crazy that people are starting to listen who I don't even know who they are. <laughs> I mean, I'm used to my friends. I'm used to my friends. Although, actually, like, my closest friends don't seem to listen as frequently. Shame. Shame. Well, I don't know. But my mom no, is fine. an avid listener. Shout yeah. out to Raina. Thanks, Mom. Appreciate it. And in the meantime... Um... Yeah. I was going to say we have a Ko-Fi as well in case you oh, are... Oh, in case you want to give us money. In case you are inclined to donate to us, it helps us with um, website fees and hosting fees and stuff like that. And so far that's been really helpful and we very much appreciate everyone who has donated thus far. Yes, thank you. Thank you. And otherwise... Um, we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. Peace out, witches. Goodbye. Goodbye. <gasps> Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you for listening. (laughs) You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Blueberry, and more. Basically anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Mm -hmm. If you like our podcast, it would be really helpful if you could please like and subscribe, rate and review, share with your friends on social media, word of mouth, Mm -hmm. all of that. It's great. Yes, and you can find us on Twitter at GWBB Podcast. Instagram is the same, and we are on Facebook under Good Witches, Bad Bitches Podcast. And hey, guess what? If you want to hear all of our episodes, they are all up at our website, GWBBpodcast.com. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to share with us and that you want us to share on our podcast at some point, you can email us at GWBBpodcast at gmail.com. Hey guys, you know what? If you like what you hear, maybe please consider a little bit of supporting us financially by visiting our tip jar. Um, The link is in the show notes. Every little bit helps. It just kind of makes it so that we can keep this going so that it has some longevity. So just think about it. See see how you feel about it. Or you can support this podcast directly by buying us a coffee on our (laughs) Ko-Fi. So that is ko-fi.com slash gwbbpodcast. Coffee start at 
at $3 because that's generally the price of a fancy coffee and it just helps us keep the ship going. Good Witches Bad Bitches is produced by Moonbounce and powered by Pinecast. Boom, boom, boom. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening.